Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to episode 172 of the Naturally Nourished podcast. Today, we are continuing to answer all of your burning questions that you guys submitted a couple of weeks ago, and we'll be focusing specifically this episode on hormones because there were so, so many good questions, especially about female hormones. We actually didn't get any male hormone questions at all, so we'll save that for a later date. Uh, But we got questions on everything from perimenopause and menopause to hormone replacement therapy to birth control and beyond. And we're just going to knock them all out today. Yes. And we got like 17 questions all about hot flashes. So don't worry, ladies, this will be addressed. And I hope that after this episode, you're able to apply the suggestions and you'll all hit me up and be like, Hey, I'm sleeping deep. I'm not waking up in a pool of sweat. Everything is magic. And I am so excited to provide you the resources that we have in today's episode. But before we get into there, um, I do want to share with you guys, we do still have a couple spots open from that uh, secondary uh, amount of spots that I placed after we filled my 12-week virtual food as medicine ketosis program. Class two is going to be this week, and we allow people in through the 21st of January. So those of you that are listening to this real time, you have just a couple days to snag your spot. We will talk about in today's episode how a ketogenic diet can help to optimize female hormone balance, but if practicing dirty keto or not supporting your body with detoxification or chasing fat and not getting ample protein, how some of these things can also throw you in to a state of hormone imbalance, exacerbate hot flashes, and throw your system off. So, Be sure that if you are looking at a program, you're doing one that is functional medicine based where your leader is really addressing from the root cause. And I would love to be that person to guide you in your process. So go on over to AllieMillerRD.com under books and programs, select ketosis class and snag a spot. You only have a couple days left. Yes. And you can absolutely catch up. We archive the videos right after the live class occurs every other Wednesday. So no worries if you've missed a little bit. Class three is on HPA access and stress. And then we also have a full class that's dedicated to hormonal issues and kind of getting that balance of clean keto functional medicine application for hormone balance. Yes. And I spent painstaking hours (laughs) revising the protocol, uh, which is a fantastic format for your entry point. And we'll definitely have some tweaks, whether you are keto curious or you've been practicing a ketogenic diet, or you've been doing carnivore or other forms of low carb interventions. This is definitely a great reset button and a way to really take a step back and analyze and understand how you can use food as medicine. Okay, before we get into today's topic, let's have a quick word, speaking of keto, from one of our favorite fat-fueled 
snack companies, F-Bomb. Yes, you all know that the whole Milner household loves F-Bomb. Uh, they started as a company making packets of high quality fat, about 200 calorie packs uh, that are either macadamia nut or coconut based. And they also have a line of premium oils, including MCT oil, olive oil, and coconut oil. These are fantastic solutions to stabilizing blood sugar levels, providing a clean source of fuel while you're traveling or on the go, and really able to satiate. Um, remember, fat can be fantastic fuel for curbing cravings and fantastic tool for your kids as well. I love to provide Stella an F-bomb pack daily. And now we have the opportunity to dig into the nut butter tubs that they came out with earlier last year, which are great. You can just kind of throw a tablespoon into smoothies or just give them a tablespoon of that delicious chocolate macadamia nut butter um, as a great way to curb cravings and balance energy levels and stabilize mood. Uh, F-Bomb has also expanded last year with their Keto Crunch, which is a cheese crisp that uses microbial enzymes. It's a fantastic texture, a great thing to throw on top of salads or to just eat as a snack on its own. And I have so much love for their pork sticks. They are the best texture. They have four different flavors on the market and um, really provide a nice moisture and uh, mouthfeel, whereas a lot of meat sticks on the market are very dried and kind of gamey. Um, so go on over to dropanfbomb.com slash AllieMillerRD. That's where you'll see my favorite fat-fueled snacks from this company and see what the whole Miller household loves to enjoy throughout the week. Again, it's dropanfbomb.com dot com slash Allie Miller RD. And when you're on their website and you're adding items to your cart, you can use Allie Miller RD at checkout to save and let them know that you found out about their product through the Naturally Nourished podcast. Awesome. Absolutely love those guys. And when I'm skiing later on this week, I will definitely have some F-bomb products in the pockets of my little snowsuit. <laughs> Just in case I get on, lost. Yeah. On a lift and yeah, totally. Yeah. Or if I'm lost in the woods somewhere, uh, not a very good skier. So we'll see how it goes. <laughs> All right. Um, before we really dig in on listener questions today, um, let's just give a little bit of a 101 introduction on women's hormones. I know we've covered this in several episodes and I'll ensure that I link all those episodes in today's show notes, including episode 44, 121, 123, 149. We've got so many, so I'll make sure I dig all of those up and include them in the show notes. But let's just dig in a little bit maybe on estrogen and progesterone and kind of their functions in the body. Yes, the two stars of the show. Uh, in, in Women's Hormones, which is episode 44, we really unpack you know the three different types of estrogen, which I won't go into too deep today. I, I will address that in some listener questions. Uh, and then in 121 is keto and women's hormones. So that's really about how the transition of producing ketones in the body, lowering your glucose levels impacts your hormones. And then yes, 123 was libido and getting your sexy back with Dr. Anna Kabeca. And 149 was focusing on amenorrhea or loss of cycle and getting your period back. Uh, so all four of those are fantastic and have a great overlap into today's episode. Uh, but today we have topics, like we said, kind of all under the sun. So to frame some groundwork, since they all are women questions, 
estrogen and progesterone are thought of as, you know, the two primary female hormones, and they have kind of antagonistic or oppositional effects on one another. So we think of estrogen as the primary hormone that is proliferative. It stimulates the uterine lining to grow. It plays a role with retention of salt and water. So if you're estrogen dominant, you might have a thickened uterine lining, right? Thicker tissue. You might be holding excessive fluid. Uh, Estrogen stimulates breast cells to grow and it can be a mood elevator. Um, So estrogen, we can also see if we have like breast tenderness, that would be another sign of estrogen dominance. Or on the latter end, if you've had significant weight loss and you're doing more of a ketogenic diet where you're using body fat as fuel, remember your fat cells are estrogenic as well. So you might notice a shift or reduction in, in breast tissue or breast size as estrogen levels start to decline in the body. Now, on the other hand, progesterone, we think of progesterone instead of being proliferative as secretory as a hormone primarily. It plays a role with stabilizing and um, stopping the growth of the uterine lining. It plays a role with releasing a coordinated fashion of menstruation. So as progesterone, as we mentioned in, um, oh, you know, there's also two other great hormone uh, podcast, Becky, that we want to link 106 and 107. In in 106, we really talk about the influence of the follicular stimulating hormone and your luteinizing hormone, which really create the cascade of your estrogen and progesterone through the menstrual cycle. And we talked about how that progesterone drop is what really indicates like the dam wall coming down and initiation of your, your menstrual cycle. Yes. So So, seeing different levels of these at different times of of the cycle would probably be the easiest way to explain that. Totally. Mm -hmm. And then um, progesterone itself can function as a natural diuretic. So again, oppositional to estrogen, which is going to hold salt and water, you're going to get fluid release with the progesterone. Uh, Generally, we will get less uh, activity of cysts, uh, less breast tenderness with use of progesterone or optimized progesterone levels or balanced estrogen and progesterone expression. And uh, whereas estrogen can be a driver of blood clot or of vasoconstriction, I didn't mention that, progesterone is a relaxer. So progesterone can actually be a vasodilator. So that will actually reduce blood pressure, reduce risk for clots and such. Um, So very counter-regulatory effects. And um, I kind of unpacked already in in this explanation, some of the signs or things to look to with an excess of estrogen. We generally naturally do not see high levels of progesterone dominance unless someone is using HRT or hormone replacement therapy of a bioidentical or synthetic form. Uh, Otherwise, we typically are more commonly seeing the estrogen dominance. And I want to be very clear that you can experience estrogen dominance based on a high level of estrogen. And you may recall from past episodes as well, there are exogenous estrogens that are found in our environment from xenoestrogens or estrogen-mimicking molecules, uh, which can be seen through our endocrine-disrupting compounds, which can be found in fragrance, in plastic, in pesticides, in our agricultural uh, foods, as well as a lot of additives in the diet. 
and um, even inhalants, right? So even volatile organic compounds and such. A lot of these estrogen uh, dominant compounds are going to then contribute to the circulating estrogen in our body, and that can drive high estrogen levels. Um, we can also see estrogen dominance with a normalized estrogen level, but too low of progesterone. So we would address each issue of estrogen dominance a little bit differently, right? In the first case, when there is actually uh, diagnostically seen excess estrogen, we would really be more aggressive in that removal of estrogen from the body to bring that balance back up to play. Whereas in the latter side, maybe the individual is dealing with what I've mentioned before in podcast episodes, the pregnenolone steel. This is the concept that the master hormone um, can actually be metabolized instead of uh, converting into progesterone. Uh, the adrenals in a state of high stress demand can steal from that building block and convert that progesterone into cortisol. So that may be why one individual would be estrogen dominant with low progesterone, a high stressed individual that's experiencing that pregnenolone steal. So that individual, yes, we may watch the amount of estrogen circulating through their body. We're going to support detox on their liver and colon, but we'll be less aggressive about the removal of estrogen itself. And we'll be more focused on the stress support, regulating excess cortisol, and potentially considering botanicals um, or roots and adaptogens like maca to support that progesterone or actual bioidentical to bring that back up to the table. Got it. So we'll be unpacking some of this a little bit further um, with your questions. We just wanted you guys to have a little bit of foundation. And you just reminded me, Ali, of a couple of other amazing hormone episodes, the one in estrogen dominance and endocrine disruptors, as well as the pregnenolone steel. So I'll link those as well, just for more information. Yes. Okay. Ready for some listener questions? Let's do it. Hopefully right. I laid some foundation. And <laughs> I think so. Okay. All right. Um, I always have such a hard time. Okay. This one's easy. Reading your handles, you guys. Dana's dose of wellness. I got that. Um, what are your suggestions, nutritionally and otherwise, for making the transition into perimenopause as smooth as possible, all while trying to maintain healthy lean mass and optimal energy slash focus slash performance. I know lots to ask for. In addition, how to do so when stress levels are high. Okay. So <laughs> we're asking about transition into perimenopause and making that a smooth process as well as maintaining energy focus and performance and managing stress. So I would say a really great resource again that we already mentioned is episode 152 of the Naturally Nourished podcast where we had Dr. Annika Becca on there. What we did talk about a lot in that episode was the stress connection to hormone management in a couple ways. Um, you know, when we think about the way that I speak of stress with the anti-anxiety diet of that sympathetic fight or flight or that parasympathetic rest, digest, reproduce, metabolize, right? We know that the body with that HPA axis is going to support ovarian and testes, so that, that gonadal gland, more appropriately when it's balanced in a parasympathetic state. So definitely stress management is key. And as I mentioned, if we are under high chronic stress, we can see two areas of hormone imbalance. One is that our progesterone levels will often dip 
earlier than the estrogen. So we can start to create that pregnenolone steal where we're stealing from progesterone to make cortisol, the primary stress hormone, right? And as I've talked before, really that's the body saying, this body is not safe to carry a child. So let's lower the progesterone so that if an egg gets fertilized, it cannot successfully implant because this individual is clearly running from a cheetah or a tiger or there's something going on that does not make this environment sound. So regardless of the aging process, if we know we're under high stress, that's likely jacking our estrogen to progesterone relationship. And we'd want to prioritize first and foremost with magnesium for a couple reasons. Um, so I would highly suggest the relax and regulate magnesium uh, bisglycinate form, which is the one that's in the relax and regulate. Um, we do see that magnesium can promote the regulation of our estrogen in the body. So regardless of how dominant you are, there is an enzyme in the body called COMT, um, and that stands for catecholamine methyltransferase. And um, your catecholamines, remember, are your stress-responding neurotransmitters. So that your, that's your dopamine, your norepinephrine, and your epinephrine. People with COMT genetic SNPs or mutations on that gene tend to be more anxious, tend to experience uh, more mood disturbances, and tend to experience more estrogen dominance. So magnesium does promote that methylation um, of the COMT pathway, which will aid with excretion of the buildup of estrogens that we can see in that population. Um, we also see that magnesium can promote estrogen detox by directly increasing the activity of other enzyme pathways that play a role with gluconeridation or basically the excretion pathways. That's that kind of phase two enzyme activity that we see in the liver. And we see that serum magnesium levels tend to be lower when estrogen is elevated during the menstrual cycle. So this is why relax and regulate would be used really favorably, not only because it's a neuromuscular relaxer, right? So if you think of your body shedding your uterine lining, right? It's actually having to break down tissue that creates a lot of cramping, hence menstrual cramps, right? Um, and that mechanical process of the hormone-mediated effects. Well, magnesium supplementation has been seen to be very effective in preventing uh, dysmenorrhea, supporting premenstrual symptom, and also supporting menstrual migraines, and so many other symptoms affected uh, that we see with estrogen dominance or hormone dysregulation. So, that would be my first intervention as a supplement would be the relax and regulate. And that's without even going into all of the details that we talked about uh, with getting your cycle back episode, which is the influence of the myo-inositol, the other key ingredient of the relax and regulate, which really makes it hands down the best magnesium supplement out there because it's not just the best kind of magnesium, that bisglycinate, it's paired with myo-inositol. And inositol itself can fuel sexual hormone production and balance. Um, so that's a really fantastic formula as a starting point. And then I would say with the stress regulation, another thing to consider, Dana, is quality restful sleep, of course. Um, I would highly focus on potentially investing in getting your adrenals tested so that you know if you're talking about energy focus and performance, maybe if you're a high intensive uh, athlete, Dana, maybe you've uh, kind of already started to put too much demand on those adrenal glands over time and you might benefit from a little bit of adrenal support, which is my glandular in the Naturally Nourished line. 
that might help to regulate your cortisol and DHEA, those steroid hormones that you don't have to steal from your sexual hormone production, which would make a more gentle hormone transition. And bar none, I would highly suggest adaptogens. Um, we talked about that in so many episodes where adaptogenic herbs help us to adapt to stress demand. Um, so this could be adding medicinal mushrooms like reishi or cordyceps to your morning coffee. Reducing your caffeine in general and doing more green tea can be very favorable on sexual hormone balance. Um, and then just watching your exercise output so that it's not depleting. I definitely recommend supporting lean body mass through uh, weightlifting and um, you know really getting that metabolically active tissue supported because we know we all experience some form of sarcopenia with aging and that really starts in our 30s ugh, where we start to see muscle loss and that can influence the hormone management of the body. So resistance training is key, but I would say step away from, as you're going into that perimenopausal phase, step away from the high intensity or excessive cardio and do more cadence resistance training and incorporate something that gets you parasympathetic or balanced like yoga twice a week as well. Yep. So don't start running marathons at this transition of life. Definitely not. Yes. Okay. And then what about the insulin and cortisol connection? Do you want to speak to that a little bit? Yes. So, you know, when we're talking about balancing hormones with the diet, it is important that we have ample fat uh, because remember, fat is the fuel for hormone building, right? We, we actually need fat for that master pregnenolone hormone to make all of the hormone in the body, whether it be progesterone, estrogen, testosterone, cortisol. So having ample fat in the diet is key. And with that being said, also, having excessive insulin, if you are uh, someone that's doing a high-carbohydrate diet, that would not be optimal for your hormone transition because we see that there is definitely a chicken and egg relationship with cortisol, that stress hormone, and insulin because remember, cortisol itself is a glucocorticoid, so that primary stress hormone is releasing glucose into your body. And then the diet is where we really want to manage with carb restriction, a very low or moderate carbohydrate intake to bring that insulin level down because we do see elevated cortisol and blood sugar levels to be a double impact on our sexual hormone binding globulin. And this declines with age. We find that insufficient levels of SHBG or sexual hormone binding globulin can be related to lifestyle factors such as increased body weight, uh, higher levels of visceral fat, a state of inflammation, uh, low activity factor, and excessive carbohydrate intake. And what that would mean is if your sexual hormone binding globulin is low, that means that there's going to be an impact on how the hormone that is left, which is likely declining with age, is able to bind in the body. So you need this sexual hormone binding globulin to be optimized so that that, that smaller amount of hormone being produced in that aging process is heard or expressed or able to dock. Got it. So kind of something there to catch it or soak it up. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Awesome. Um, I think we've got a whole bunch more on kind of menopause and, and perimenopause. So I'm going to let these rip and there may be a little overlap. So I'll try to ask questions together in that case. Um, let's do this one from Keto Christine 317. Dealing with hot flashes, triple fire emoji. 
<laughs> uh, uh, so awful. I'm eliminating coffee and the occasional red wine. We'll eat meat, fish, eggs, some dairy for the rest of this month. Any other tips? And then keep calm and eat keto also asked, how can my mom deal with her hot flashes for menopause? They're absolutely killing her. Well, I wonder if that's her mom. No, I'm, I'm sure it wasn't because like I said, there were like 17 questions that came uh -huh. in. We just pulled two. Yep. Um, so Keto Christine, uh, you're on to something with eliminating definitely the coffee and the wine. Um, you know, both of those can be flushing um, and can definitely interfere with also the stress response in the body. So I think that that's a, a really great step. Also, it sounds like with eating those proteins um, through the month that that would mean likely with both of the handles having the word keto in it, that you are already doing a lower carbohydrate diet. Um, so that means that we likely are going to be seeing uh, lower levels of insulin as well. So I think that that's an entry point. Um, however, I would also look at the process or the mechanism of hot flash. So I'm going to first talk about it being a inflammatory condition, and then I'll, I'll go into the influence of the varied forms of estrogen receptors on our body and, um, some novel findings that we have in the, the world of, uh, nutrigenomics and botanicals and, and what compounds would modulate these receptors so that we can still experience a key lock and key mechanism so that we're not getting that void, which is one of the driving, really driving influences of a hot flash without driving estrogen dominance. Cause that's, that's the thing to navigate for sure. So thinking of hot flashes as an inflammatory reaction in the body is really a first line of defense. Uh, and so when we're thinking of this, we want to follow an anti-inflammatory diet. Um, I will speak in a little bit about the mechanisms of detoxification, but I would say definitely we do want to have some phytocompounds in our diet to reduce potential estrogen dominance, as well as reduce inflammation in the body. When we think of the strongest anti-inflammatory supplements out there or foods, we think of wild-caught fish, right? We think of turmeric, we think of ginger, we think of boswellia, we think of uh, proteolytic enzymes, um, but we are talking about a lot of roots, and we are talking about seasonings, and we are talking about low glycemic berries, all these having a great way to kind of ring out the fire in the body. So on a food form, the big things I would recommend is uh, at least getting wild caught fish three times a week in the diet, um, getting in two to three cups of leafy greens per day, and getting in at least a half cup of your cruciferous vegetables daily. And these are all prescriptions that we recommend within my 12-week virtual keto class as well. Um, you know, this really helps to ensure that we are reducing the inflammation in the body and being strategic within that world of cruciferous vegetables, uh, layering in broccoli sprouts would be a fantastic consideration because the sulforaphane that we see, which will come from uh, the broccoli sprouts once chewed and, and activated with enzymes, this is going to impact our NRF2 uh, pathways in the body. And NRF2 is a protein that regulates your antioxidant expression or oxidative stress in the body. And what hot flashes are is an inflammatory oxidative stress expression. So uh, the Brocco Detox supplement in our formula would be a really direct way of getting high amounts of this activated sulforaphane to regulate that oxidative stress. 
And you get a two-part with Brocco Detox in the sense that the cruciferous vegetable and its structure of the Eindel-3 carbonyls also reduces estrogen dominance. So Brocco Detox would be a great foundational supplement support for the hot flashes and multifactorial that it doesn't just address the hot flash. It's going to also support estrogen dominance. It's going to also support reducing oxidative stress in the body and also likely supporting your metabolism. So that would be one to check out. Um, And then what about other ways of kind of regulating this inflammatory response of the hot flash? Yeah. So you could use the anti-inflammatory bundle um, as well, which has three different supplements in it. It has the EPA DHA extra, and we've seen a bunch of published literature on optimizing omega-3 fatty acid status, reducing hot flashes. So that's again, an awesome multifactorial approach where we know optimizing omega-3s can reduce depression and anxiety. Optimizing omega-3s can reduce cardiovascular disease and, and blood clots and stroke and so much more. So the EPA DHA extra is in that anti-inflammatory bundle as is super turmeric. Uh, super turmeric being unique that it is a turmeric oil combined with the dried curcuminoids, which is going to have four to six times the bioavailability and one whole gram per capsule. Um, also, independent literature will show turmeric as being a fantastic tool. And then we're looking at uh, cellular antiox in there, which is N-acetylcysteine and glutathione, the grand mama antioxidant in the spectrum, which is fantastic. We've seen in research for uh, arthritis, for macular degeneration, and so much more, but also just this whole systemic inflammatory response uh, while supporting detoxification. So that would be a bundle to consider that would have kind of a multitude of factors. And then if you're looking to layer the diet further, especially if you're experiencing inflammation in the body beyond your hot flashes, like let's say you're dealing with plantar fasciitis, which is um, aching in the bottoms of your feet. Um, let's say you're dealing with tennis elbow. Let's say you're dealing with just tenderness in the tissue, like fibromyalgia. You may consider doing the MRT test. And this is a lab panel that looks at 180 foods and chemicals and how your specific immune system, your surveillance system um, is going to respond to these foods and chemicals, whether they are going to be non-reactive, moderately reactive, or highly reactive. And that reactivity is an actual measurement of inflammatory media chemicals released by your body. So that hot flash mechanism is based on the amount of those chemicals that are circulating through your system, if that makes sense. So you're using this diet as like a GPS to reduce the amount of contributing players to the inflammatory process. And then that anti-inflammatory bundle would also kind of have that similar mechanism of kind of cooling out the body in general. So you don't have as many, um, you know, compounds to fight when the hot flash is to be expressed. Totally makes sense. And the MRT would be a great way to just kind of layer on to your already clean keto diet, a really unique approach specific to your body. But I think that makes a lot of sense of starting with inflammation. Because if we think about those cardinal signs of inflammation, well, with hot flashes, you've got, you know, that redness and flushing reaction. And that's kind of one of the first things that we see with any inflammatory process. Absolutely. And heat. <laughs> yes, definitely the heat. Yep. yep. So I want to go into a little bit aside from if you're if you feel like you got inflammation locked down and you're like, okay, I'm taking at least two of those supplements. I have some foundation support. I want to talk a little bit about the variants of estrogen receptors because this also would address, you know, people that have questions on 
uh, breast cancer or uh, ER positive or HER2 genetics and such. So we have two different estrogen receptors in the body. There is an ER alpha, estrogen receptor alpha, and an ER beta. Now, our alpha receptors are primarily found in the reproductive tissues, so our breast, our ovarian, and uterine tissues. And when activated, the ER alpha is going to have a strong effect on the female sex organs. The ER beta is more in the peripheral tissues, so this is more of where we would experience the hot flashes, right? We don't experience hot flashes just in our breasts and in mm-hmm. our ovaries. It's peripheral. Um, and so the peripheral tissues are where we would see more non-sexual effects. Um, they sustain more the tissue flexibility and function, so this is where we're looking at more of like the bone health influence, um, and we would be looking at more of the mechanism of the flashing. Now, there are botanical that bind to both ER alpha and ER beta with equal affinity, uh, meaning that they can bind to both of those alpha and beta receptors. But we can see some that selectively are going to activate only the beta in the gene transcription or in the expression. So if you think of a CIRM, a CIRM is a selective estrogen response modulator, okay, or receptor modulator. And these CIRMs, you know, the first CIRM that really came on the market uh, was soy, or as far as like a big, as a food form, as a functional food. And this was when like silk, (laughs) soy milk really hit the market in the early 2000s of the studies that they were publishing on CIRMs and them reducing, you know, estrogen dominance and so forth. Well, the thing that we want to look at, though, is not only does it sit in the receptor site, but what gene is activated. So there are some botanicals, um, like Siberian rhubarb, for instance, that can bind to both alpha and beta, but only express the beta, which means that that would not drive the estrogen dominance-related symptoms, which would be undesired from the use of CERN. Um, so there is a, a product that I want to share with you guys. It's called Estrovera, and um, it uses ERR731, which is a patented compound from the Siberian rhubarb. And there have been double-blind um, controlled research studies, uh, 12-week periods of time, where there was an 83% reduction seen in hot flashes um, in individuals that used this Estrovera product. There was also improvement seen in emotional stress, sexual problems, vaginal dryness, sleep disturbances, mood, uh, physical and mental exhaustion, and irritability. And again, the influence of this compound, this, this Estrovera, is that it does bind both the alpha and beta, but it only expresses the beta. So that's where we will get the anti-proliferative estrogen um, support, where we're not going to drive excessive estrogen in the body. We're going to actually see some support of estrogen detoxification, and we will see healthy cellular function with reduced risk for estrogenic-related cancers. I'll make sure I linked that product in today's show notes, because I know that's one that in clinic, we've both seen some pretty remarkable results when you know we've gone down the rabbit hole and everything else, and we just don't know what else to do for hot flashes. It can be a really, really good tool. Yeah, and I will say on air, um, I will put yeah, we'll put a direct link to the product. And what's pretty cool about it, uh, I love Metagenics. I use them, you know, to help with my private label line of supplements and whatnot. I think they're a fantastic, high quality resource. Um, but 
the uh, product itself does have a money back guarantee. Yes. So I think it's worth it. Now, yep. with that being said, though, what I want to make very clear is this is a more direct support of treating hot flashes. So not going back to Dana's question about a good ease into perimenopause or menopausal health, right? So you might get a multitude of benefits, as mentioned from the double-blind placebo-controlled research studies on the product, but I would still make sure that you're addressing the inflammation I would still make sure that you're addressing how the estrogen is metabolized with the Brocco detox. And I'd make sure diet foundationally that you're getting ample fat and not too high of carbohydrate, right? All of those are kind of the preliminary players. And then this can be that, that cherry on the Sunday that helps in this receptor period of time, which you might take for six months to 18 months to just get you through that transition period. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. It's just kind of an additional layer of tool. Um, anything else to speak to on um, the alpha and beta receptors or shall we move on? I think we move on because we get a okay. lot more to cover. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this question comes from our good friend, Jolie Sykes. Hey, Jolie. Hey. Um, is weight gain during menopause a destiny that we can't fight? Literally, I know no one that did not gain weight other than the naturally super skinny body types. So frustrating to think this is inevitable. Okay. So I feel you sister. And I know that it is commonly seen. And I think that not to beat a dead horse, but the influence of cortisol and the influence of blood sugar metabolism are two huge, huge keys because as we age, our body starts to steal sexual hormone to survive. Okay. So if we're under stress, we're going to be putting out likely excess cortisol and that drives belly fat that drives blood sugar spikes, right? And then I want to call out just because like I swear from the rooftop, <laughs> the, as I mentioned, all the beauty things of magnesium, the, the one mechanism I didn't mention is that that form in the relax and regulate, it does cross the blood brain barrier so that while you're sleeping, you actually are able to reduce the amount of cortisol that's released because a lot of women start to have like 3 a.m. waking uh, or dawn phenomenon where all of a sudden their blood sugar levels that rise are becoming elevated. All of that goes back to cortisol metabolism and stress response. So yes, it's the lifestyle of managing your stress, but the relax and regulate is a key component of actual mitigating that cortisol release and expression. And then also, as I mentioned, helping your body to metabolize the estrogen based on the, the COMT variant. So on, beyond that, a macronutrient strategy. So Carbohydrate control is essential because carbohydrate intake in excess, which drives glycemic um, spikes or blood sugar spikes or high glycemic index selected foods, which people might be doing from the holidays still, are going to drive excessive insulin, and that's going to throw off that sexual hormone binding globulin. We've also seen now something unique. Now, maybe you're following a ketogenic diet, all right? If you're following a ketogenic diet blindly and just following the perfect pie chart, if you will, of getting like 70 plus percent of your calories from fat, you may be missing out on the protein that your body needs. So we've seen in research studies that inadequate dietary protein can lead to decreases in the primary liver detox pathway, the cytochrome P450 activity. And in that pathway, we detoxify estradiol or E2. So we can be set up for estrogen dominance if we're not eating ample protein. 
We also see that amino acids themselves can play a powerful role in supporting our neurotransmitter balance, which can help us to balance our stress response. And as I talked about with aging, eating ample amino acids, uh, ample protein intake in general, can also prevent the sarcopenia or the muscle wasting that we start to see with the aging process. And that exacerbates the hormone shifts in the body because fat, body fat itself, right, is going to be estrogen dominant. Um, Those adipocytes, those fat cells are estrogenic in their nature. So maybe you need to adjust your ketogenic diet to be higher protein, lower fat, and then support your body's fat loss with the Brocco detox and maybe even layer in a little bit more detox support that I'll get to in a moment to help to ensure that you're not getting excessive circulating estrogen from your body fat loss from your protein, um, excuse me, from your calorie restriction, um, which would be the goal of the weight loss that you're talking about, that that destiny. (laughs) So higher protein would be something to consider. And then actually within the fat also, something I want to call out, aside from lowering your fat so that you can bring the protein up, We have seen that based on the amount of dietary fat consumed and research studies do show, yes, saturated fat to be the bigger culprit, that high fat diet can actually promote um, an imbalance with our 16 alpha hydroxyestrogen over our uh, two hydroxyestrogen. And we want to correct that balance because that's what drives estrogen dominance um, when that 16 alpha starts to elevate. Um, And that's what also can be correlated with higher risk of estrogen related cancers. So you may want to reduce your fat intake. And I I, want to say this kind of gingerly because I just said like 15 minutes ago, eat enough fat, you need fat to build hormones. But people are going to hear this differently, right? So if you're eating fat bombs, um, if you are adding fat to your coffee in the morning and all these types of things, this is something to try pulling out if you're actively dealing with weight gain and hormone imbalance. Um, I would really focus on things like my grass-fed whey, which has those immunoglobulins, has the gut support, has the glutathione for the detox support, um, and maybe doing like a leaner protein shake where you're just adding nut butter as your only fat in there and adding in your two to three cups of greens and your cacao powder and your unsweetened almond milk. And that might be a really great replacement than adding 350 calories of fat in your coffee in the morning. Totally. I think that's something we're constantly rescuing clients from um, is too high of fat and adding it you know, in these forms where it's like, is that really even satiating you or is it in a liquid form that's going to have you poop your pants afterward if you're going upwards of 500 calories and, and using MCT and things like that. Right. And, and, and yeah. really just messing with the regulation of what hormone is circulating through your body. So, you know, we do want to focus on, yes, calorie restriction and movement. Um, and then within that calorie restriction, I would say you'd want your dominant macro um, to be either like an equal distribution of fat and protein, because remember fat has nine calories per gram, right? So um, you know, you're probably going to, on a gram level, be dominant in your protein, like 90 to 110 grams of protein. Keep your fat at like 60 grams a day, which would almost macronutrient, if you're hitting your upper point of your uh, protein, be very close in comparison of your, your fat and protein ratio. And then your carbs, you'd keep around like 30 to 50 grams a day. Okay. Awesome. That makes a lot of sense. And that's a, a big adjustment that we made with our um protocol document this time around too, is kind of distinguishing, you know, if you've got body fat to lose, maybe you don't need to dial it up so hard. 
Yeah. I mean, I mean, it just comes back to the idea that it's this vicious cycle again, right? If you're gaining body weight, you're going to have more visceral fat. You're going to be experiencing more inflammation because fat not only is estrogenic, but fat is pro-inflammatory for your body, right? So it kind of takes us back to that. Let yourself melt slowly from the inside out by supporting your body with anti-inflammatory supplement support, um, being strategic with an anti-inflammatory diet. And then I would say, you know, high to moderate protein, moderate fat, very low carb. Okay. Awesome. And I think we'll get into a little bit more um, specific on detox with some more questions down the line. So stay tuned for that as well, Jolie. Anything else to add for the weight gain piece of the puzzle? I think fasting is something to consider for sure. certain. Um, and so, you know, doing a pure fast, if you have uh, excess body fat, that would be fantastic. And so a pure fast would be like zero calorie, right? So again, you're not doing the bulletproof fat-fueled latte. Uh, you would just be doing, um, I, I would love to see just green tea or matcha because that's going to have that EGCG, which is going to boost your belly fat burn. Um, also provides you more um, extended release of caffeine throughout the day. And the matcha would be a fantastic tool because that's going to also give you that L-theanine to regulate the way that your body perceives a stress response. Um, so doing something like that and practicing a 16-8 would be a great tool, especially if you compare that fasted period with um, you know, supplemental support to be both anti-inflammatory and antioxidant-rich, like the Brocco Detox. I think that that would be a really good trifecta there. Matcha, Brocco Detox, time-restricted eating, and then hitting these macros. And I think that uh, you'll be in a sweet spot, especially if you marry that with the relax and regulate at bed. Okay. Awesome. I think we're going to find relax and regulate is the answer to a lot of these questions today. It, it is. Yeah. Yep. Um, all right. So Andy Pow 27 asks, food is medicine approach to balancing hormones, low progesterone and estrogen dominance specifically. Okay. So assuming the things that I've already said, uh, we'd want to focus on for low progesterone. Uh, we'll hit that first. Uh, maca would be the most powerful food. Uh, it's a tuber. So it's a starch, it's an adaptogen and it stimulates the pituitary. So the part of the brain that makes your thyroid stimulating hormone, the part of the brain that also makes your FSH and your LH, which are what drive hormone production. Uh, and I have seen clinically maca at about a gram a day. So if you're doing it in capsule form, 500 milligrams twice a day, um, about a gram a day is a successful dosage to get progesterone levels slowly to come up. And it could be a two-part. It could be that as an adaptogen that's helping to reduce the cortisol steal, right? Um, that pregnenolone steal where the progesterone converts into cortisol. And then it could also be that the maca itself by stimulating the pituitary helps with progesterone production or stimulation. Um, so that's a really fantastic support. And then as far as reducing the estrogen dominance, we would want to incorporate those cruciferous vegetables. Uh, so this is cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, broccoli, uh, cabbage. All of these I like to uh, recommend to do predominantly cooked. Um, about a half cup to one cup a day cooked would be fantastic. And about twice a week, you might incorporate these raw, like massaged cabbage slaw or something like that. Just be mindful if you do run hypothyroid that those foods are also a goitrogen, um, which can interfere with the thyroid hormone balance in the body. So if you have hypothyroid, you might want to only do cooked. Otherwise, you could do a variety of both of those. And these do help as Eindol 3 carbonyls to support the body in detoxifying excess estrogen 
in the body. I would be mindful on a lifestyle um, way to reduce endocrine disruptors. So uh, we will link that show note episode where again, we talked about all the sources in your beauty products, in your cleaning chemicals, and so much more. Um, and we have a clean living um, document uh, blog that we can share with links to our favorite products. And then if you have known estrogen dominance, like you've done testing and you've seen that you have excessive levels of estradiol, which is your E2, I would highly recommend DIM, which is methionine. Um, I can put a link to a DIM product by Designs for Health in my show notes. Um, I don't private label that because I've seen DIM drive dangerously low estrogen levels, and that could interfere with bone health, mood, uh, breast tissue, and so much more. So I really would only do the DIM if testing confirms that you are estrogen dominant. Um, and again, not relative estrogen dominant, but actually having too high of levels of estradiol. Otherwise, the best approach for supplement as far as estrogen dominance would be the Brocco Detox and the Ultimate Detox. The Ultimate Detox has calcium D-gluconate, and that plays a big role with the way that the liver and the colon remove excess estrogen in the body. And recall that the ultimate detox is in those 10-day detox packs, um, my Reset, Restore, Renew detox packs. So doing a detox quarterly or semi-annually is another great solution. In fact, uh, Becky started doing this, and I, I took a tip from her hat clinically where she was having clients use the uh, detox packs at like day 25 of their cycle on, especially if they deal with like breast tenderness and um, higher estrogen dominance towards that tail end of their cycle or early menstruation. And that was helping a lot with their PN not just their PMS symptoms, but their uh, menstrual cycle um, drama. Totally. And as well acne, as acne. Things like that. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, um, and what about other foods, Becky? Let's kind of yeah. go a little deeper down the rabbit hole there. Yeah, yeah. So um, maybe specifically foods that are going to influence, because um, maca is the big one, I think, for progesterone. So foods that specifically um, influence our estrogen metabolism. Um, let's talk about some that um, can help with actual estrogen production and kind of normalizing the estrogen body burden, supporting the gut, which I know we'll get into in a little bit too. Yes. Yes. And so, so the first thing we would think of, and I think that this was a question, but I'll just say it anyway, is lignans, which are going to be like the sticky factors that are most dominant in flaxseed. Um, so lignans are going to be basically binders, right? So these are going to reduce the estrogen burden on the body of all that free circulating estrogen, especially if an individual has compromised sexual hormone binding globulin, then that means that again, their receptor sites aren't responding, but they have all these like keys, right? All of these um, free circulating estrogen. So the lignans can help with the metabolism or reducing the burden of that impact on the body. Flavonoids are fantastic as well. Uh, chrysin being one of the, the most uh, supportive for estrogen dominance because that also supports uh, balance within aromatization. So um, we see this in raw and filtered honey as the richest form. So a great way to consider incorporating raw and filtered honey is one of your selective carbohydrates that you might balance with like a uh, full fat Greek yogurt um, or you might balance. Now, if you have known estrogen dominance, I'm gonna step on my toe, if you have known estrogen dominance, I would remove dairy from the diet completely um, because dairy is one of the most dominant estrogenic foods, right? 
So if you have known estrogen dominance, removing dairy would be probably a good thing. But if you are running low estrogen, like you've lost a cup size, that's usually one of my number one recommendations. And personally, I found that to be very helpful uh, after breastfeeding and having been on bioidentical progesterone for a period of time, I found that I went down two entire cup sizes from where I started uh, pre-pregnancy. And so to get back at least a half size, um, I was very strategic with use of Greek yogurt. And I, I noticed that that definitely played a role. So that, that dairy will have estrogenic effect. Um, the chrysin with the raw and filtered honey, if you know your estrogen dominant, you could use in like a coconut yogurt. Um, I'm a huge fan of Kalina, um, which is an Austin-based company and a fat dominant, very clean dairy-free yogurt. Zinc would be another great one to regulate the influence of estrogen on the body. Red meat and uh, papitas or pumpkin seeds would be great recommendations to get your zinc up. And then uh, flavonoids also from your resveratrol. So your berries are going to be fantastic there. Um, and then we would be looking at um, isoflavonones. Like um, the soy that I would recommend would be miso. Miso has been shown to reduce estrogen dominance and is a great thing that you can throw into your bone broth to make a really fantastic umami flavor profile with some chopped scallions or um, some form of like raw onion. That's going to boost up then that phase two detox as well. Fiber in general, because it's a binder, is going to help to gather in the colon and support as a prebiotic to support the microbiome. We'll talk a little bit more about the microbiome in a little bit. So you kind of break it down to lignans, which are like seeds and sticky stuff, <laughs> flavonoids and antioxidants to go for your full color of your rainbow, but strategically maybe raw and filtered honey. Um, and then looking at the zinc, and the cruciferous vegetables would be more in the world of detoxification and elimination of estrogen. And that's where we would see those um, cabbage, Brussels sprouts, uh, cauliflower, the Eindel 3 carbonyls. Uh, in that family of, of detox, we could also consider layering in um, botanicals like rosemary, curcuminoids from turmeric. Um, and then the green tea that I've mentioned a couple times already, the green tea has uh, some of those flavonoids that have also been shown to favorably aid in estrogen detoxification. Okay, awesome. Some really good food as medicine for starters there. And like Ali mentioned, starting with a 10-day detox is often our first line of defense yes. when there's hormonal imbalance before we go to bioidenticals and, and kind of replacement. It's a good way to kind of clean things up get your body working a little bit more efficiently in that detox process. Okay. Totally. Awesome. Um, next question comes from Sally J4478. Women who've had an ablation procedure and no longer have periods, how are our hormones working? So uh, an ablation would not be a hysterectomy. This is where the lining of the uterus has been removed. Often it is a dramatic or, or traumatic, both, I guess, hit to your physiology where it kind of shocks the tissue and then you may not experience periods going forward. Some individuals will have some level of, of menstrual bleed after still, depending on how thick the uterine lining was in the beginning and you know how much was removed. Um, but those individuals still have their ovaries. So even with a hysterectomy, hysterectomy is removal of the uterus and an oophorectomy. So there could be a partial or a complete, a partial hysterectomy could just remove the uterus, but maintain the ovaries intact. And then an 
oophorectomy or a complete hysterectomy would be removal of the uterus and the ovaries. So if you've had a complete hysterectomy, then you are not having the, the glands that produce the primary sexual hormone, your ovaries, right? Those have been removed. In an ablation, you still have your ovaries intact. So ovaries are still going to be producing hormone. And it would be really based on the signaling of that HPA axis. Now, because the thinning of the tissue has been impacted in, again, some level of a traumatic removal, um, the, the feedback of your follicular stimulating and your luteinizing hormone is, is going to be a little bit dissociative. Um, so the patterns and the flow of the body, um, you know, you may focus on following like the moon. We've talked about that in episode 106 and 107 when we talked about natural birth control and kind of finding rhythm if you are not cycling. And uh, what, that typically recommend, what that typically refers to is that a full moon would be seen as ovulation and a new moon would be seen as menstrual cycle. And so you could start to kind of watch your body in relationship to that. And you may incorporate um, some hormone support if you've tested. I would wait at least six to eight weeks post ablation. And then you might do some hormone testing if you feel very symptomatic um, to see where your output of estrogen and progesterone are at. So you know if you want to target um, detox or target production. Generally speaking, though, most individuals that have an ablation are coming with a history of estrogen dominance. Because remember, yeah. when I spoke to you know what estrogen does is it thickens the uterine lining, right? So generally speaking, Sally, I would say that the best line of defense, defense would be for sure 10-day detox support following procedure. Um, and then from there, layering in that Bracco detox as a regulator of estrogen dominance, which will likely find you again, even without that tissue itself. And um, really watching then some of the other recommendations of like, the stress management to get that HPA axis on track. Totally. That makes a lot of sense. So the ablation kind of you know removes those bothersome symptoms of really heavy cycles and things like that, but may not have addressed or, or will not have addressed the root cause of estrogen dominance. Exactly. Right. So we still have to apply that, that what I was speaking to prior about the macro uh, approach of, you know, a, a moderate protein intake, moderate to high protein intake, uh, moderate fat intake, and a, a lower carbohydrate intake for certain because of that insulin cortisol connection. Okay. Awesome. Um, how about this one from Anonymous? My daughter needs help. She is a hormonal mess and desperately needs your help. She's seeing an endocrinologist and last week was diagnosed with PMDD. She also has PCOS. She's 37 and very physically fit. Doesn't look like the typical PCOS woman at all. They adopted a baby almost three years ago after trying to conceive for years. She's having anxiety and severe acne outbreaks. What are priorities of lab testing, diet, and supplementation to help her manage? Okay. So... We would want to, with PCOS, um, you know, there is an inflammatory and an insulin connection there, generally speaking. Um, so one thing that we would consider now, knowing that she's of a leaner body type and very physically fit, um, there is probably also a adrenal connection here where her body is going androgenic. So it's probably like androgenic acne where she's likely going through that pregnenolone steel and potentially putting out too much cortisol. And it might be that excess cortisol fight or flight hormone that's driving the 
increased insulin levels or the increased blood sugar levels. Preliminary testing I would look at would be at least a hemoglobin A1C, a three-month average of blood sugar levels, fasting insulin level, and vitamin D, because vitamin D has such a role with the insulin and hormone regulation within the body. I would also like to see on a salivary level, so saliva hormones, because this is the best way to look at the steroid hormone in a, in a true tissue assessment, um, would be through the Neurohormone Complete Plus panel that we have available on the website. Um, that's going to look at DHEA. That's going to look at a four-point cortisol assessment. It's going to look at estrogen in all three forms, E1, E2, and E3. It's going to look at progesterone and testosterone, and then it's going to help us to look at um, her neurotransmitters. If, if she is in this fight or flight um, chronic mode where she's stressed and wired, or if she's in a burnout mode of stressed and tired, because we may address um, with supplementation strategy a little bit differently. Uh, regardless, though, I would say adaptogens would be a very safe support. So the adaptogen boost, um, because that has that rhodiola, that has the panax ginseng, and it has cordyceps, which are going to help the adrenal glands to be less hyperreactive or hypervigilant and um, reduce them from putting out too much cortisol. Also, if they are in a phase of overdrive or insufficiency, it's going to preserve them so they work more efficiently. So adaptogen boost would be a big one for certain, and especially hearing that she's like exercising and doing all the things that's going to help that resilience and, and, and momming, right? And then the um, relax and regulate, of course, would be one to look at. I would look at from conventional testing, her LH, her FSH, her prolactin. Those are all markers, again, of the pituitary. Um, often we'll see um, like chaste tree or chaste berry being used in a lot of like hormone managing products. Be sure, ladies, I've said this on a couple episodes, but be sure you don't take any of those products that have dim or chaste berry or chaste bark or chaste tree. Um, Vitex is the yep. other name of that ingredient. Um, those two ingredients can throw hormone imbalance if you don't know where you're falling. I said dim can drop your estrogen dangerously low and you need enough estrogen to be fertile um, and to be optimally balanced in the body. So you don't just want to pull that the lower the better. And then the, the Vitex or chaste bark or chaste tree um, can pull down prolactin levels. And if those aren't elevated, that can throw off the pituitary, the part of the brain that regulates your sexual hormone. So I much prefer, again, I'll say it again, relax and regulate to be the key player as a gentle modulator for the HPA axis with that myo-inositol that actually has been shown in research studies to support PCOS hormone management. Um, so for someone that has known PCOS, I would be going two to three scoops a day of that relax and regulate to get that hormone back on track. Yes. And I know um, this individual actually is also, um, she's an exercise physiology I think, teacher at a university. So potentially looking at um, stress output with your exercise as well. If she's doing a lot of HIIT or a lot of heavy lifting, that's going to drive more of that androgenic kind of DHEA or cortisol expression. Yes. And I had a uh, success story of a, a client that uh, adopted two babies and now is pregnant um, almost due with her miracle keto baby. And um, she had uh, uterine fibroids that were, uh, uh, she was a thin individual, um, also didn't fit the classic estrogen dominant type, you know, um, body type or lifestyle, uh, low percent body fat. 
but had uh, uterine fibroids um, and did have residual estrogen dominance because of that. And we layered in inflammazyme very aggressively so with my keto program. And um, within that also Calm and Clear, I haven't mentioned that yet, but Calm and Clear and Relax and Regulate would be huge for this individual as well because of that kind of fight or flight response likely throwing off the sexual hormone regulation. Um, so uh, if we know we have tissue buildup, I'm not sure if that's a question in today's notes, but maybe like, let's say you're having heavy breakthrough bleeding and you don't want to necessarily go for an ablation yet, or you have known fibroid tissue in the body, inflammazyme would be a fantastic consideration. It has all of those botanical anti-inflammatories paired with proteolytic enzymes. And these are types of enzymes that break down tissue buildup in the body when tissue buildup does not belong in that space. Um, and I've just seen so many success stories with use of that product. Um, it is uh, more powerful than what on the market is um, known as Wobenzyme. And that's now used in a lot of infertility clinics for that reason that it just creates the uterine tissue to be more... Um, subtle, to be more um, open and to be less inflamed, more tender, if you will, versus scarred or, or built up. And that really helps with uh, healthy implantation. Totally. That's a really, really good tool. I'm glad you mentioned it. And even um, with IVF and such, it can be a really yes. fantastic tool to make sure that the uterine tissue is ready for fertility. Yeah. Um, and for this individual with PCOS as well, episodes 48 and 49, we did a two-part series back then on PCOS. So lots of good gems there. Yes. And last plug before we go to the next question, um, I would definitely share the resource of the adrenal rehab program. You know, so um, we haven't talked on that for a little bit. We launched that back about three months ago, and this has so much science and strategy on hormone management. It digs deep also on um, beyond exercise and lifestyle it digs deep on really understanding what works best for your body, listening to the signals of threshold, because a lot of these individuals are kind of type A, white knuckle, overdrive, <laughs> the subtle, ah, it's too much, and keep going and pushing. The Adrenal Rehab Program really allows you to kind of start to listen to your internal self-talk, um, to really examine what is stress in your body, and how to make harmony and peace with your uh perfectionist self, right? I guess that so that you can really get into a, a place of safety and release within your body, which is a really important part of the puzzle. Totally. Okay. Some awesome, awesome tools for that individual. Um, I'll ask one more, then we'll uh, take a little sponsor break and hopefully get into a little bit more rapid, rapid fire, fire yeah, <laughs> mode. Um, I think we could do this all day. Um, okay. This question from this Nope, I don't. Thesta Dinks. I have no idea how to read here. The Stadnicks. I'm not. The Stadnicks. Oh, that's way better. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where I got that. Sorry, um, whoever you are. Thesta. This. The Stadnicks. Yeah, that of makes. Course. Oh, totally. That makes so much more sense. It's just a, a family combined Instagram. Stadnicks. Yeah. Damn. Yep. Thanks, Allie. All right. Um, is it possible to successfully lose weight and rebalance your hormones on keto while also on hormonal birth control? So yes, it is. Um, I would say, again, we've hit episode 106 and 107, does talk about the role of birth control on your body. 
you might want to consider a non-hormonal form of birth control because birth control is giving you exogenous or outside hormone and it is synthetic. Um, so it can suppress the way that your ovaries produce hormone and the feedback signals within your body. Uh, so depending on what your goals are for fertility um, and also what your goals are as far as regulating estrogen dominance. Now, you can support, birth control also can drive a lot of micronutrient deficiencies. Uh, B vitamins are namely one of the big ones as, as are minerals. So I would say it would be really important to be on like the multi-avail mama, which has a really nice foundation of, of the vitamins and minerals, including trace minerals like iodine um, that are going to support healthy hormone balance. So across the board, that'd be my recommendation. If you are at an age upwards of even 45 and then, you know, and, and if you have fertility goals beyond that, fine. But once that chapter closes, then you could transition to the uh, multi-defense. Um, and if you're still menstruating, you would take the multi-defense with iron, otherwise you would take without iron. Um, but a multivitamin would be a huge key to provide you the nutrients that birth control does drive deficiency of. Um, and then just considering that like quarterly or at least semi-annually 10-day detox to support removal of excess hormone. But with that being said, I, I kind of cringe because I would say that it would be optimal to be in a non-hormonal um, birth control. And we talk about a bunch of options in that episode as well as like temperature tracking and all the things. Um, I want to talk a little bit because I know this is a question so we can skip it about HRT and, and hormone sure. replacement. So it's important to acknowledge that the body responds differently to bioidentical versus synthetic hormone. Bioidentical is still exogenous. Anything coming outside of our body producing it is exogenous, right? Versus endogenous means the body made it. Um, so all hormone therapy is exogenous and all of that can make the body a little bit lazy, meaning that it's getting it. So I would have to produce it, right? Um, so with that being said, you want to be mindful about introducing hormone and understand what lifestyle variables and factors um, would make you susceptible to low levels and weigh out the pros and cons of that. Um, so I personally am on bioidentical progesterone because Me even too. though <laughs> even yeah. though I take six calm and clear a day and you know one to two scoops of relax and regulate and do literally all of the things you guys see on my Instagram stories, <laughs> all of the things I'm doing, um, I still know that being the mom of a three-nager and running a clinic, being a full-time clinician with you know 20 to 30 patients a week and running a business and doing all the things that it's just superhuman mode that my body is going to steal progesterone and I work better on all levels, mood, body composition, menstrual cycle regulation, all of the things with maintaining use of a transdermal, meaning a cream that passes progesterone through the skin, um, a transdermal progesterone. Now, with that being said, because I use the uh, bioidentical progesterone, I do test my hormones at least semi-annually to make sure that I am using an appropriate dosage to keep everything in a really balanced synergy. Um, bioidentical is going to be the same molecular structure of the hormone that your body makes itself. So it doesn't mimic the response. It actually functions as the response. And that's the big difference between synthetic. In order for something to be patented in the medical world as a pharmaceutical drug and to be FDA approved, it has to be synthetically produced. Um, the issue with this, like we saw back with the beginning of HRT with Premarin, is that 
these uh, chemically derived hormones or synthetic hormones don't necessarily work the same as hormone and they could drive dominance. So we could get too loud of that alpha receptor estrogen, for instance, and start to experience estrogen dominance in the body with use of hormonal birth control that uses a synthetic hormone. Yes. And I think the really key element that Ali mentioned there, and I'll just reiterate, is to make sure that you test before messing with this stuff. I can't tell you how many women I've seen put themselves on either a bioidentical cream or DHEA or doing like testosterone pellets without having some foundational testing done. And that can really jack things up. Oh, and the Young Living product, um, there's some, and not to call that out as a full company thing, but there's some Young Living progesterone drops. Yeah. And it's like a USP progesterone. And um, I have had to rescue so many women from such dominant progesterone, which can be just as widely concerning as estrogen dominance, just different symptoms, um, but can still interfere with body weight loss, can interfere with your metabolism, can interfere with your sleep, your mood, and so much more. So it's all about a fine symphony. And if you're going to interfere um, or or bring hormone to the table, yes, I do feel strongly it should be bioidentical only. B, I feel that should be a last line of defense once you've already worked inflammation, the stress access, and then you've done some advanced testing and you can see the dynamics of the variabilities or needs, and then you're strategic in your dosing and you follow the hormone cycle that the body is supposed to cascade with. You also wouldn't blindly, I don't use my transdermal progesterone every day of my period, right? right? Because I'm following the natural rhythm and cascade of my system. Yeah. And I think probably with the young living, who knows about like dosage and and kind of testing on that. So you want to make sure you're working with a practitioner who knows what they're doing and is prescribing a product that has stood the test of time and, you know, is accurate in dosage. Because I think that's another area where we can get, I've seen women doing like by the quarter teaspoon of progesterone cream, something off the shelf, and it's just never very accurate. Yeah. And then last rant, and then we'll go into our new sponsor. I'm super excited to talk about, um, within the vein of essential oils, um, lavender oil has been shown to be, um, a endocrine disrupting compound or an estrogen dominant, um, compound when topically applied. So be mindful of that. Uh, I think it's always the do- the dose the dose that makes the poison. Um, so you know we've only seen some small uh, literature on this, and it was with gynomastia or male breast formation when lavender essential oil was applied to the chest directly in boys. Um, and so there is some hormone mimicking response with essential oils are very powerful, right? So I really think that they, they, because of their nature of their extraction process and being quite potent really belong as inhalants and and should not be used topically on a a daily basis. Yes. And I think that's information out there that I see all the time of like, Oh, put lavender on this, that, and the other thing. And, and starting to see some warnings with like boys and teenagers, especially that it could disrupt hormones. So I think that's an important call out. 
Yes. So I want to take some time now to talk about Wild Foods. This is an Austin-based company that I'm super stoked to welcome into the Naturally Nourished podcast. Wild Foods is a company that puts quality, sustainability, and health first in all of their products. They have everything from coffee to turmeric to medicinal mushrooms, and every single product is painstakingly sourced from small farms around the globe. They take their mission seriously to fix the broken food system and believe real food is medicine. I have the t-shirt to prove it. Um, They've partnered with us to give you guys an exclusive discount, and you can use the code AllieMillerRD when you go to wildfoods.co. It's not .com, .co, and you will get 12% off your order. So let's talk, Becky, a little bit about some of the products we've been playing with in our kitchens and some things that we want our listeners to know about that they offer. Yes. Super, super excited about these guys and bonus points that they're right down the street from your new house. Um, So that's kind of amazing. But their wild vanilla is something I am particularly excited about. So this is actually a um, really rich, dark brown aromatic powder that is, you know, the scraped insides of whole vanilla beans. So the entire raw bean is dried and then, um, oh, it's not scraped. It's actually dried and ground, which is even better. So you're getting like the full mm-hmm. spectrum of antioxidants. Um, really, really nice replacement for like vanilla extract, which may have some unfavorable compounds added in there. Um, really excited to play with that one for sure. And then their um, wild cacao butter or cocoa butter wafers. Um, these are an awesome dairy-free alternative to use in like your keto coffee. So it's raw organically grown, unrefined, non-deodorized, food-grade, and fair-trade cacao butter um, from small family farms. And they are really easy to melt and blend into any kind of recipe from smoothies and shakes to coffee. And then also could have potential application for kind of DIY skin care. Yeah, totally fun there. We did that one year as a holiday team uh-huh. building party, made lip balms, right? With, with the cacao yeah. butter. Yeah, yeah. And I first discovered cacao butter in my fat field coffees uh, when I think it was cow's milk or something came up as a irritant on one of my MRT protocols. And it's fantastic. It's a really great way to make an indulgent latte. Um, wild foods also has a wild matcha, which is, you know, you guys know how much I'm obsessed with matcha. I've dropped it like three times this episode, a great way to get that entire tea leaf, hundred percent of the nutrients locked inside that green tea and matcha is shade grown so that it has higher amounts of L-theanine. That's why with wild matcha, you're going to get 10 glasses of green tea in nutritional value, uh, per serving. And this is ceremonial grade stone ground. So that's what I've always been telling people look for ceremonial grade. It's going to be the first harvest, which is going to be the highest and best flavor, not that bitter yuck. And you still get the big bang for your buck of the antioxidants and that slow release of caffeine for four to six hours without that spike and crash of your black coffee. I would also like y'all to check out their teas. When I was doing the 10 day detox just recently over the holidays, I fell in love with their coconut chai. It has ginger and real coconut flakes, cloves, um, safflower in there, and a 
dash of chili flakes, which provides a really warming, enjoyable mug that I was doing with coconut milk as the, the delivery. And there's one that I'm even more obsessed with. Uh, it's their tea blend number five called the Thai G. I like the name too. <laughs> but the Thai G is a green form of rooibos tea. So we've talked about rooibos on the podcast a couple times, um, African bush tea or red tea. It contains um, more antioxidants than tea in the traditional camellia camellia plant, which is your you know white, green, black, oolong, yellow tea. Um, rooibos has no caffeine, and this green rooibos tea is unfermented, and so it has a little bit more antioxidants than the red. Uh, the profile of this, it's with uh, lemongrass and lime and ginger, so it's super dreamy. I've done it both iced and hot with a squeeze of fresh um, lime, and I've done it with uh, coconut water really fantastic, refreshing beverage and a great way to add in your collagen or really um, one up your health elixir. Absolutely. And definitely a step up from like a tea bag that's been sitting in your cabinet for yeah. who knows how many months. Um, and then one more area of interest probably to our listeners would be uh, the Wild Foods Adaptogenic Mushrooms. So these are a really great addition to your morning coffee or butter coffee routine. Um, they've got the Cocotropic Wild Food, uh, Wild Superfood Elixir. Excuse me, that I believe I tried at your yes. place last time, and that's going to be a combination of wild chocolate with reishi and chaga Ooh. extracts. Houston's excited about that. Raw <laughs> maca powder and wild turmeric, and it tastes really good. So it's not you know, that bitterness of the maca. It's a really nice blend that you can sip on like hot cocoa or even blend into your protein shake or butter coffee. Absolutely. I was super stoked when they, when they, you know, reached out to me and I wanted to try some of their products before welcoming them as a sponsor. I was like, Oh, Cocotropic doesn't have any monk fruit or stevia. I am so game. And then I went on to explore, they have an entire adaptogenic mushroom line and that's numbered just like their tea line. So if you want to just bring in reishi or just cordyceps, which I just have been having so much fun with in my kitchen. And if you guys follow me on Instagram, you'll keep seeing me playing with all things wild foods. So go on over to wildfoods.co, put in the code AllieMillerRD at checkout and you will get 12% off your order. Um, again, that's a great way to let them know that you learned about them through the Naturally Nourished podcast. Use the code AllieMillerRD at checkout and it's wildfoods.co. You can explore all of these things and um, definitely make sure you grab a, a bag of that Cocotropic. All right. So Houston's going wild for wild foods and <laughs> we'll just keep kind of rocking. Um, let's do some rapid fire on some of these hormone questions that at least can be rapid fire. So you can mute your mic and yes. I can talk. <laughs> exactly. And I can investigate what he's barking at. Um, starting with anonymous, 32 and single here, but I have goals in the future of having a baby. How do I maintain optimal fertility until the time is right? Okay. So yeah, I mean, the first thing that we want to focus on, I hate to be a, a broken record, inflammation, keep it regulated in your body, keep your stress regulated in your body. So your body feels safe to carry a child when the time is right and ensure you have ample nutrient density. Um, so getting in again, enough fat to build hormone. I would highly suggest once if, if you are looking to have a baby and you haven't yet, and you've hit the age of 25, you should just start taking the multi-avail mama. Super stoked. I haven't 
shared this yet, that the multi-avail mama just went down from six capsules a day to four, do, do, do. And also the price reduced a couple bucks. Um, so that's a great way for you to just get two twice daily instead of having to get those six capsules to make sure that you have your foundational micronutrient support. Um, another thing you might consider in, um, if you're dealing with infertility or just as you age um, is cellular antioxidants. Um, cellular antiox is in that anti-inflammatory bundle, as I mentioned earlier, um, but this is that glutathione and N-acetylcysteine, and we are seeing in all like IVF and um, infertility or, or fertility, excuse me, clinics, the use of glutathione, whether it's being given as an IV or oral, uh, glutathione is a great way to preserve the ovarian reserves and ensure that your eggs are healthy and resilient. Um, so that would be a really great way to ensure as you age and you're waiting for that time to be right, that you are supporting optimal ovarian function. And then you may decide um, that you'd want to look at your micronutrients as a foundation uh, micronutrient testing, you can order that through our website. That'd be across the board really for any of these questions. Um, so this would look at like your levels of zinc and your levels of magnesium, the levels of your B vitamins, and all these play such a role in hormone regulation and fertility. And then when the time does get right, or if you're having issues with your period, or you're having a known hormonal issue, um, or a known hormonal symptom and don't know the root cause, that's when I would layer in that neurohormone complete plus to look at the influence of the adrenals and the sexual hormones with the saliva and urine testing to be more strategic. Okay. Awesome. Another anonymous, my friend told me she thinks my progesterone is low. How would I know if I have low progesterone besides testing and what symptoms should I look for? Uh, so progesterone is an anxiolytic, so it is going to be, you know, stress reducing. And, um, so if you're experiencing onset of anxiety, um, if you're just worrisome, if you don't identify it as anxiety, but you're worrisome, you're type A, you're dealing with sleep disturbances, that would be a symptom. Uh, fluid retention would be another symptom of low progesterone, uh, an irregular cycle, uh, low output, like um, either shortened cycle or low output or heavy, heavy cycle. Um, so any variance where if you're getting like rust colored blood, that's often a sign of low progesterone um, or again, the, the cycle getting a little bit shorter or way too long, like, um, you know, over 35 day cycles, that'd be another sign of you're not getting that progesterone peak and then drop. So your body's not getting that signal. Yep. And then as we said, testing, if you're going to actually do anything in terms of a, an intervention direct on progesterone, for sure. Right. So you could layer in for sure the relax and regulate, and you could layer in the maca sure. at this time and maybe something like the cocotropics, you know, which has a blend of that in there. And, um, then you can kind of see how your cycle regulates. If not, then you'd want to test before you'd bring in bioidentical progesterone because it might be a different hormone issue. You never want to throw darts that um, hit a receptor site in the, in the dark. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Patty A. Harding, we kind of addressed this, but I'll ask it just for a rapid fire kind of closing thought on it. Um, thoughts on chia seed and flaxseed being disruptive to your hormones. So it's going back to lagnans, right? So the sticky factor of these compounds. Um, there have been some research studies that show that ground flaxseed, um, flaxseed itself, not the flax oil, is going to have these lagnans, right? So uh, as far as plant lagnans, we do see that flaxseed has about three times the amount of chia seed. 
and eight times the amount of sesame seed and then you know, lots of times the amount of vegetables um, themselves. So flax seeds um, have been shown to have an estrogen uh, recepting modulating effect and also an effect on estrogen metabolism. Um, there was a small study, preliminary study done on women who did see halving their hot flashes by eating two tablespoons of ground flaxseed twice daily. So four total tablespoons of ground flaxseed. Um, it was a small study. They didn't compare it to a placebo, but they did see a 57% reduction. Um, so that, going back to our question earlier, might be something else to layer in as a strategy. Um, and one of the mechanisms is that the lignans do inhibit the cytochrome P450 enzyme aromatase. And aromatase is the pathway that converts your androgenic hormone, which is your testosterone or your stress hormones, into estrogen. Um, so it would keep your testosterone as testosterone and prevent that estrogen dominance. Um, and then we've also seen when we've looked at urinary metabolism, that it tends to reduce that 16-hydroxy, which is the more estrogen-dominant concerning form of estrogen. So it may modulate the expression of the types of estrogen to be less estrogen-dominant. Um, and then I haven't seen anything on a actual sexual influence of chia seed itself. Uh, we did talk a little bit about seed cycling in episode 106 or 107, I forget. Those, those, that was like a two-parter. <laughs> They're all kind of mucked in there. Um, but we did talk about how you could play with that and my thoughts on it. And I really think that the amount of hormonal influence, aside from flaxseed and the other nuts and seeds, are quite minimal. You know, it's something that, yes, you could play with. And there is like the logic in theory is like, oh, these seeds are higher in zinc and you would eat these in times of your cycle when you would be more estrogen dominant to metabolize that excess estrogen. Eh, you could play with it. But I think that the amount of calories you'd have to consume in the nuts and seeds, um, the amount of phytic acid and potential gut um, disruption that could occur there may not be fortuitous or beneficial. Totally. So probably more benefit to just incorporating them on a more regular basis or kind yeah. of alternating between, you know, doing flax like every other day, chia every other, throwing in some sesame seeds and not necessarily having to follow that rhythm of cycle. Right. Right. Okay. Um, let's do one more. I don't know that this will be um, rapid fire per se, um, but Anonymous asks, I know I have a COMT genetic SNP from doing some testing. I think this explains why every time I went on birth control in the past, I went totally nuts. How can I support estrogen detox with COMT? And I want to make sure within this question um, that we also hit on microbiome. Yeah, I was going to say otherwise I'll ask, I'll ask my own self a question. <laughs> Either way. <laughs> Because, yeah, so, okay, good. So, um, again, COMT, I, I discussed earlier in today's episode, it's um, a genet it's a gene. And if you have that SNP or that single nucleotide polymorphism, that dirty gene on COMT, um, that leads you to be typically more anxious and more estrogen dominant because catecholamines are your stress responding chemicals. There's about 30% of the population that have a slow COMT and that reduces the methylation of estradiol or E2 and that's the dominant form of your estrogen. So the most direct player to bring in would be SAMe. 
Um, let's put a, a link in the notes, not only for Estrovera, but also for Blissfora sure. for listeners. I will say that this is a product that I use with a lot of my um, clients, especially anyone that has known mood disturbances. Um, Sam E helps to metabolize the buildup of the stress responding catecholamines or stress responding chemicals. Um, and so there is a product called Blissfora, which has methylfolate, um, methyl B12, and Sam E in a really nice synergy. And that would be a great blend, especially if you know you're also MTHFR. It has that kind of triad, the triad of those methyl donors. Now, if you don't know if you're MTHFR or you want a more broad support, um, it is important to note that, again, magnesium does support, especially in the form of magnesium bisglycinate, um, the regulation of the COMT gene. So that's where that relax and regulate can be that default foundation. Uh, there is research that shows a high sucrose diet or a high glycemic diet does inhibit the COMT gene. And we also know that elevated blood sugar levels are tied to estrogen dominance. So that could be one of the components there as well. So I would say keep your carbs under control um, and stay you know, low glycemic or consider a, a, a nutritional ketosis as a approach. And then um, you can support the estrogen detox aside from that genetic pathway with the magnesium optimization and the SAMe. Beyond that genetic wheel, you would look at the uh, compounds that support the excretion, which would be those indole three carbonyls in the cruciferous vegetables, the leafy green fibers. And this takes us to my final point, yes. which is the microbiome and the gut as a regulator of estrogen. So um, there is actually a term being used now, which was new to me coming up to this episode, the estrobolome. Ah, yeah. I've never heard that. The okay. estrobolome. I'm not sure if I'm saying that correctly, but basically it is the microbiome influence of estrogen exposure and regulation. And it comes down to the fact that some gut bacteria can produce an excess amount of beta-gluconeridase. Um, and beta-gluconeridase um, is going to play a big role in um, regulating estrogen. So I mentioned before that the ultimate detox product in our supplement line has calcium D-gluconerate, right? Or, or calcium D-glucurate. And um, this is going to aid in binding and excreting estrogen that is circulating through the body, especially the estrogen that is circulating through the colon. So some gut bacteria can actually produce this excess beta-gluconeridase, which um, is going to drive excess estrogen expression. Okay. We see high levels of beta-gluconeridase with intestinal dysbiosis. So that could be bacteria overgrowth of a pathogen, or it could be candida overgrowth. And that is going to interfere with how estrogen is excreted. If your beta-gluconeridase is increased, again, based on dysbiosis or bacteria imbalance, that means that there is less estrogen being detoxified or removed from your colon, and there is more recirculation. So you actually are going to increase your reuptake and your reabsorption of these free estrogens. And this drives a greater risk of estrogen-related cancers, as well as estrogen dominance in the body. So the liver and the colon are so important when we're talking about estrogen regulation. And if you experience constipation, and by that I mean you're not having at least a half of a cup of fecal matter leaving your body on a daily basis, um, or if you're experiencing irregular bowel formation, uh, bloating or distension, any signs of bacterial imbalance, 
then you need to do the six week beat the bloat cleanse. Um, this is a huge regulator of your sexual hormone balance in the body because again, your gut bacteria plays a role with that estrogen recirculation as well as the estrogen excretion and removal. So beyond just layering in that ultimate detox to do that work on a regular basis, if you have known estrogen dominance, getting to the root might be plowing the gut, resetting the biome to be in a symbiotic environment so that the colon more efficiently regulates your gut um, hormone, essentially. And I will say, personally, we're going to add a, an episode into the podcast on this because I've been having such a fun journey with the Beat the Bloat Cleanse myself. Um, you guys know I'm always like the student, right? So I did the 10-day detox um, with you all between holidays. And now I am going into week three of the Beat the Bloat Cleanse. So I'm using the Candy Activator, the Berberine Boost, the GI Cleanup, and the Ultimate Detox. Those are the four formulas in that uh, bundle and following the diet protocol. And I did this uh, I talked about this in my infertility episode. Uh, right before getting pregnant, I have a history of endometriosis, and endometriosis is highly tied to gut dysbiosis. And it is the number one area that I experience change during the cleanse. Definitely, I get a shift of bowel output and I get more uh, agitation, <laughs> more mass output for sure, and softer stool and all that stuff for sure. Like we're plowing for sure but I feel it in my uterus. And I had a period last week, and this does not sound delightful and I'm sorry, but it's true. I had only two hours of sleep because I also deal with severe cysts. And um, I passed a huge cyst that created dynamic breakthrough bleeding where I was like thrashing in pain, but I have a huge feeling of like cobwebs being cleaned out of my uterus. I don't know how else to describe it. And I know it doesn't sound scientific, but it is. Um, and I know that this microbiome cleanse is doing a substantial shift within my endometriosis, my tissue of my uterus, and also the hormone management that's going on via the colon. Um, so not trying for baby two yet, but I like to do that kind of inventory and, and foundational regulation. And I find that to be a huge connection. Totally. And I know we talked about that um, and I'll link our episode on endometriosis here as well, because I think we got into the cleanse for sure. And I'm sure another episode on the beat the bloat cleanse and, and your personal experience would be welcomed by our listeners. So we'll make sure to sneak that in, um, in the next several episodes. Yes. Oh, good. So I we hope today's <laughs> episode was helpful for you guys. All things hormones, Q and a, um, I think we covered like all of the things. So, uh, if you are enjoying the podcast, please go over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review with a sentence or two of why you love it. Um, check out AllieMillerRD.com. Um, again, foundationally, you might snag a spot in our 12 week virtual keto class, or you might jump right in with the beat the bloat cleanse, or you might do your first ever 10 day detox. Or if you haven't started relax and regulate, what the hell are you doing listening to us? <laughs> um, and thank you so much for uh, trusting us as experts and guides in your food as medicine journey. It is really a sense of purpose that I don't take lightly and am uh, grateful to be a part of your process. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. 
Until next time, stay nourished and be well.